You know, I I pray that uh, in your journey with Christ that you feel uh, tension, the strength of your sin, the grasp that it has in your life. The power that it has on your emotions, on your decisions. But He is stronger. Right? Church, He is stronger. Sin is broken. You have saved me. And it is written <clears throat> that Christ has risen. In the light of that truth, Jesus, you are Lord of all. You're Lord of my decisions. You're Lord of my emotions. You're Lord of my life. You're Lord of my family. You're Lord of my job. You are Lord of the destruction around me. You are Lord of all. You're Lord of all. Let me read to you Third John, where we'll be at today. John says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. It says, I have written something to the church, by, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing taking wicked nonsense, uh, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil is has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. 
we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. He says, I had, I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your graciousness to us this morning. I thank you for your kind words through the Apostle John. I also thank you so much for the warnings that we have in your Scripture and the guidance that we have in the Scriptures. Father, I pray that, uh, that our hearts are captivated with, with you and that uh, the brokenness of this world and the sin that entangles our hearts, that it just seems to kind of pass away as we leave it behind for something so much greater. So, Father, be with us as we talk to this word this morning. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so as we come to a close here in, in the epistles of John, uh, it seems like John has essentially been saying the same thing since week one. Uh, there's lots of repetition, all centered around the idea of knowing that I know God. How do I know that I know God? How do you know that you know God? My desire today, as we finish up through John, is that you would walk away today either knowing that you know God or knowing that indeed you do not know That would, there would be assurance of it one way or the other. My prayer is that if you do indeed know God, that you would know that you know God more today than you've ever known that you know God. And my other prayer is that if you do not know God, that you would walk away today knowing that you do not know God more than you've ever known that you do not know God. I want you to know that you know God. And if you do not know God, I hope that you'll walk away today knowing God. I am not optimistic to think that, ev so optimistic to think and so maybe uh, potentially naive to think that every single one of us in this room is a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not even optimistic to think that every single person who's a member of Renovation Church is genuinely and sincerely a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm hopeful. Rusty is hopeful. I trust God in that. But it would be, I think, unwise for us to treat it as if we all are. I want to read to us a passage from 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. 
Let me read to you what Paul says concerning the issue of knowing that you know God. Paul says this, Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. For many of us, when asked the question of whether or not we are a follower of Christ, our answers will probably go something like this. Yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus, yes. Therefore, I'm a follower of Christ. For some of us, our answer might be, yes, there was a time in my life when I followed Jesus. There was a time. That time has passed, but there was at least a time. So even though I'm not following Jesus today or doesn't look like, or maybe I'm not following well or at all, but there was a day when I followed Christ. For others, the answer to whether or not I'm a follower of Christ rests upon some day that I read or said some prayer or walked some aisle, made some supposed public profession. And so when asked of how are you assured of your salvation, how do you know that you know God, that you're following Jesus today, you say, well, there was a day when I asked Jesus to save me. But I want you to look, what is Paul saying in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 pertaining to how do you know that you know God? He says, examine yourselves, test yourselves. Not, Paul is not saying, have you ever walked with God? He's not saying, are you a member of a church or have you been baptized? He's not even saying, did you ever pray a prayer? He's asking the question to the Corinthians, are you believing in Jesus now? Are you repenting of sin now? Are you pursuing righteousness now? Are you pursuing the knowledge of God now? He says, examine yourselves, test yourselves Where are you at? How are you walking? What are you believing today? Not what are you holding to in the past, but what are you believing today? Let me give you a thought. That's going to be kind of the permeating thought throughout all of today's sermon as as we look at 3 John, but I want to give you an implication of that same thought from Paul that you're kind of thinking about both of these as we work through this text. And that is this, an implication for mom and dad. I would encourage you in light of this, don't hold on to, in, in light of what Paul has just said in Second Corinthians, don't hold on to a past event where your, ch- your child supposedly made a profession of faith. The question is this, is your child following Jesus today? 
Mom and dad don't simply desire. Mom and dad, the, the, the problem is that we often desire or the challenge is to, the, the temptation is to desire some sort of profession of faith that is ultimately void of fruits that follow, but we want to hold on to that profession of faith as if I know my child is saved. If there are no fruits of that salvation, then there was never a salvation. The Bible tells us he who began a good work will finish that work, and if the work's not still going, then maybe there never was a work that started. We put so much emphasis on getting out of our kids some profession, and then when they live like the world, we claim, oh, but they believe. They said a prayer. They accepted Jesus. And my question to you would be this, just practically, why hold on to a false assurance of your kid's salvation? Why? Because it makes us feel better? Because it pains my heart to think that they could be lost? That simply, that, that thinking just simply leads us to never question the salvation of our kids. And if we never question the salvation of our kids, we effectively send them straight to hell. Why? Why would we do that? The aim for today, again, for today's sermon, is that you would examine your life now. You want to do that in light of 3 John and retroactively, as we basically in 3 John see a picture painted of the summary of what John has been talking about in 1 and 2 John. Let me remind us of John's purpose in writing overall. In 1 John, he says, in chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. Christians, my prayer today is that you walk away knowing that you have eternal life. That you know the reality of the depth of your depravity, but then you know the reality of the depth of His graciousness that He's lavished upon you. That you would walk away today more <coughs> angered, if you will, at your sin, and more realizing it, but then you would walk away also just knowing and trusting God. I know the sweetness of His work in my life. John says, I write these things that you would believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I think this follows all throughout all three of John's epistles. You know, if you look at John's gospel, he writes so that you would know Jesus. Right? He writes, he tells the story of Jesus in John's gospel. But then in John's epistles, he writes so that you may know that you know the Jesus that he wrote about in the gospels. He wants his readers, again, to be assured that they are either redeemed and at rest in the hands of God, or they are unredeemed and will bear the wrath of God. Which brings me to a summary of 3 John. Here we have is a time when travels were happening with missionaries, taking the gospel, some rightful missionaries, some false teachers, but in this context we have good missionaries, rightful missionaries that are traveling. And during this time, it's certainly hard for missionaries to find accommodations. I mean, there wasn't just the, the hotel, and we just kind of roll up and find the closest Ramada Inn, and uh, now you find the closest Gaius Inn, and, uh, and there you camp for the night. And 
And uh, so it's hard, particularly for missionaries during this time, to find a place to stay. So Gaius, however, as a follower of Christ, welcomed these missionaries into his home and, and cares for them. We see the love of the gospel permeating through Gaius as he cares for the people of God. And in the midst of this, though, there is this man, Diotrephes, who, who will have nothing to do with this kind of love for the brethren, which evokes eventually a stern warning from John, who says, I will come and I will address him. We'll take care of this issue when I get there. But for now, just know this is, this is the issue. I see the issue. Be aware of the issue and do what you need to do in light of the issue. But when I come, I will address it. It's come. Again, the wonderful thing about 3 John is that basically John gives us a summary of all three letters here via example in one letter. John writes this encouraging letter to Gaius. And in this encouragement, he effectively lays out the very truth that he's been writing all along. These evidences of belief in God that he's been writing about are encouraged in Gaius. We see... The, the, the things that he says, this is how you know that you know God. We see this displayed and encouraged. You see it displayed in Gaius and encouraged by John. So how do I know today that I'm a follower of Jesus? Because see, that's when we, we wrap this back around to the question of how do, I, how do you know that you know God? You say, well, I believe in Jesus. How do you, then the question is this, how do you know that you believe in Jesus? See, John's not asking, John doesn't say, have assurance of your faith because you believe in Jesus. He's saying, have assurance in your faith because these are the fruits of your belief in Jesus. And so the question is, is how do you know that you believe in Jesus? So let's look here at three places in which you must be walking. Three places that if you're to know today that you know God, that you must be walking. Walking in these three places to know that you know God. To find assurance of your salvation. Verse 1 is this. To be assured of your salvation, you must be walking in the truth. Walking in the truth. Again, I know that some of this is a review. If anything, all of this is a review. But I want you to do it in light of today, where am I at? In light of this truth that John is laying out before me. Examine yourself today. Test your heart today. To be sure of salvation, you must be walking in the truth. So ask yourself, am I walking in the truth today? Right now? Yesterday, was I walking in the truth? Right now, am I walking in the truth? Let's read verses 1-4. through four. It says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. We'll come back to that verse in just a few moments. For right now we're going to concentrate on verses 3 and 4. He says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed 
You are walking in the truth. And I love John's phrase here in verse 4. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy. We'll come back to that in a second. For right now, he says to walk in the truth. We should be walking in the truth. Gaius is encouraged here as John has been encouraged by the testimony of his brothers that Gaius is walking in the truth. What's going on here is that Gaius' love for the brethren is evidence of Gaius' adherence to the truth. Because of the love for those proclaiming the right gospel or the gospel that John Gaius says he cares for them, John understands this and, and the, the brothers see in Gaius his adherence, his following, his walking in the truth. The fact that Gaius was hospitable to the missionaries is evidence of his genuine faith and of course his subsequent assurance. But it's more, though, than just acceptance of these people into his home. But if we understand the context, likely what's happened is John has endorsed these missionaries. And so as he welcomes, as Gaius welcomes these missionaries into his house, he is not only welcoming these missionaries into his house, but he's welcoming the one who endorses these missionaries, who is John, and then in, in, in that, he's not just endorsing and accepting the missionaries, and not just accepting John, but he's accepting and believing and walking in the truth that John has taught, that John believes. So the very acceptance of these missionaries who bear the name, who are witnessing to the name that John is preaching about, John is preaching about the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. So Gaius' welcoming and acceptance of these people is evidence of his walking in the truth. Gaius was walking in the truth. So what is this gospel? He's walking in the truth of the incarnation. He was abiding in the light of Christ and actively believing and pursuing the true gospel. That's what's happening in Gaius' life. He is walking in the truth. And the brothers bear witness to this back to John. And then John writes back and says, Oh, this brings so much joy to my heart. That you are walking in the truth. So two marks of someone who is walking in the truth. Two marks of someone who is walking in the truth. The first one is this. Value, someone who is walking in the truth, values the testimony of the family of God. Values the testimony of the family of God. Someone who is walking in the truth, values the testimony of the family of God. So what happens in this picture? The missionary spend time with Gaius. And upon returning to John, they bear witness to Gaius' walking in the truth. So they go back to John and give witness, witness to the concrete evidence of Gaius' adherence to the truth. Now all of us, let me kind of bring our minds up to speed here. All of us, most of the time, are not going to have an accurate assessment of ourselves. Now this is really hard. We're, we're not meant to wholly and completely like be able to look at ourselves and, and go, this is the reality of where I'm at in my walk with Christ. God has given us the church, the body of Christ, to help us with this. 
Many of us will think too highly of ourselves. Many of us will even think too lowly of ourselves. But the body of Christ can genuinely help in ascertaining a more accurate picture of where we're at. Now the question here I would ask is whether or not we value the opinions of the body. And I think largely, just to be encouraging, I think in our, in our body, th- they are valued. I, th- I think they are. Remember, walking in truth is not simply about a moment in time when you prayed some prayer. Walking in truth, again, to remind us, is, is the continued evidence of the outworking of your redemption. Right, so walking in truth, am I walking in truth is not, was there a day I was walking in truth, but am I walking in truth today as evidence of that initial redemption? And the body of Christ is here ultimately to help spur you on in that walking and truth and to affirm that walking and truth. So we're not talking about valuing the opinion of the body of Christ just simply for affirmation that one day you said some prayer. What we see here is the affirmation that Gaius is walking with Christ presently. So they were with Gaius, they recognize, they see, they affirm his walking in truth, and then they report this to John, and then John finds value in the witness of the brothers, the brethren. Let me encourage you in this, the opinions of the body concerning your walking in truth, should matter greatly. They matter greatly to John. So I would ask you, do you value the body of Christ when it comes to affirming your salvation today? Now, you say, well, okay, yeah. If, if someone was to, to affirm that today, yes, I, I, would, uh, I would appreciate that. That would be great. Are you seeking it? Are you desireful to hear the body say, yes, I see this person following Christ. Yes, I see the evidence. Or no, I do not. And would you be okay to hear that? Now, I mean, I wouldn't be okay to hear that. I'd be quite distraught. But I wouldn't be angered at that person. At least I, I pray I wouldn't be. But examine yourself. Would the body confirm that you are walking in the truth? Would they see that? Would they confirm that? The second mark would say that we see in here of someone who is walking in the truth is that they find joy in knowing, or they find joy in other people knowing the truth and living by the truth, walking in the truth. Someone who is walking in the truth finds joy when others know the truth and walk in the truth. This is probably where I'm going to push a few of you. John's supreme concern as a pastor here is to help other people to know the truth and to live by it. So John knows the truth. The truth has transformed John, and what brings him no greater what brings him joy that surpasses everything else is the joy of knowing that his children are walking in the truth. Now, who are his children? I think John's referring to his spiritual children here. But let me ask you: do you find joy in helping others to know the truth? 
and to live by the truth? Do you find joy in that? Is it more valuable that you speak the truth of some random book, some random TV show, or is it more valuable that you speak the truth to each other about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you care whether or not your brother or sister across the aisle from you, your coworker who is lost, do you care whether or not they know the truth and live by the truth? Because here's the deal, not speaking the truth means you don't care whether or not they walk in the truth. Same thing in the body. Not just with your coworker, not just with your neighbor. Now, again, I would tether that with, we've talked about speaking the truth and love. I'm, make sure you put that in a context here. And I'm not giving you the context for right now. Well, I kind of am now. But the context, speaking the truth and love. But if you're not speaking the truth, then you don't, you can't say that you love, you know what I'm saying? Someone who walks in the truth cares whether or not someone else is walking the truth. He says in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Let me ask you this, so if I'm thinking about how do I help my brother or sister in, in the body, how do I help them walk in the truth, that... One of the places that this is going to begin, just practically outworking this in my mind, one of the places it's going to begin is, going to begin is do, do I take time to listen to a brother or sister? Do I listen for where they're struggling? Do I listen for the sin that's in their life? Not in a condemning way, but in a way that serves that person, in a way that cares for that person. Am I listening for where they're not believing the gospel in their life? Am I listening for those things? Or am I only listening for the next thought that's going to roll out of my mouth? Right? I mean, some of us, when we're in conversation, we're just, we're more concerned about the next thing we're going to say than we are about what the other person's saying. But I don't want you to just leave going, okay, I need to listen better. That's not my point. The point is you need to listen in order to help and be a part of the continued restoration of that person's life by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you listening that way? Do you take time to speak the truth to a brother or sister? Or again, does that not fit into your agenda? Do you genuinely, think about this, do you genuinely find joy and excitement when a brother or sister is walking in righteousness? When was the last time your heart was tickle pink? The fact that someone else grasped a hold of some great truth of God and is now transforming their lives. When was the last time that you got excited about that? Do you have plans right now currently in your mind of people and situations that's going on where you are trying to help them walk in the truth, walk in the light? Do you have plans? What's going on? Or is it just kind of a me, myself, and I? Certainly John cares about his walk with Jesus, but he says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Do you genuinely find joy and excitement? Does it excite you? Does it, does it warm your heart? I can tell you without a doubt in my mind that your elders are, get very excited when you walk in the truth. 
that it brings great joy to our hearts when you walk in the truth. Hebrews 13, 17 says a whole lot, but I just want to point out one thing it says. Let me read to you. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping a watch over your souls. Leaders here means at the very least the elders, but I think it goes beyond elders. It's like ladies. I think one of your leaders here is obviously uh, Sarah, as she has walked with many of you. and So I think she would fit in that category of, of leaders there as they watching over your souls, but let me keep going. For those who are keeping watch over your souls and those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I think that let them do this with joy and not with groaning, it means a whole lot, but at the very least, I think it means that walk in the truth and your elders will be able to do it with joy. Walk in the truth. When we begin to walk in lies, the elders are not able to lead with joy. But when you do, when you walk in the truth, when you grasp a hold of something of God and begin to love it and walk in it, there's such joy. It's it's a joy for us tonight as we sit down on Tuesday mornings and pray over you guys and, and uh, talk about different shepherding situations that's going on in the body. <clears throat> it's a joy because, I th- you know, we genuinely obviously have to handle the sin that's going on. Like, not handle the sin as in like we handle it, but like how are we to respond to it and how are we to lead through it. But then it's such a joy to talk about the successes and when people are walking in the truth. When people are abiding in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it brings us great joy. So I would say to you today, examine yourself. If you don't care whether other people are walking in the truth, then you are not walking in the truth yourself. Walk in the truth. Someone who is to be assured of their salvation must be walking in the truth. Secondly, To be assured of your salvation, you must be walking with the family of God. You must be walking with the family of God. Let's go to verse 5. We're going to read all the way through 10, and that will provide the context for the next big chunk that we're going to talk about. Chapter 5. I'm sorry, it's only one chapter. But verse 5, he says, Beloved, is the faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on, on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Because I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So here, right, here in this letter, John is praising Gaius for his care 
for the body, his love for the brethren, to put it in the language that we've talked about a lot, and particularly in 1 John. He is praising him for his love for the body. And then John encourages him to then care for them in a manner worthy of God. We must, too, care for the family in a manner worthy of God. John is praising what Gaius is doing. This would be wise and good for us to do as well. Care for the family in a manner worthy of God. This certainly does not look like selfishness. Instead, it looks like physical needs being met. It looks like spiritual needs being met. I was blessed tremendously on the phone last week with someone dealing with a very difficult situation. And after I spent some time encouraging this person and caring for this person, this person just very explicitly, very bluntly says, is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything that you need, anything that you or Rusty need in dealing with this situation? It was incredible. Like, that's incredible. Here this person's being cared for, being cared for, being cared for, and then they stop and say, how can I care for you? That's incredible. So a few thoughts here on walking with the family of God that we see from 3 John. First of all is this. Realize and value your partnership in the truth. Realize it and value it, your partnership in the truth. Your partnership in the truth. When we care for each other, John tells us we are supporting fellow workers for the truth. So I would ask you the question, do you see your caring for each other as partnership in the gospel? Do you see your, when you care for someone else in the body of Christ, that you're caring for your partnership in the gospel? When you care for another brother or sister in the family, you are helping spread the gospel as you empower that person, as you enable that person, as you help that person walk in the truth, as you encourage their knowing the God of truth. That you are empowering them to be proclaimers of the truth. When you help with their physical needs, when you help with their spiritual needs. This was very much a physical need going on here. And John talks about how there's partnership in the gospel. He points out that the missionaries, also in this text, think about this, did not receive anything from the Gentiles. He says in verse 7, When they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Now, a lot to talk about there, but the point here is that the gospel would not become something that is sold, ultimately. That's why they did not take anything from the Gentiles. The goal is that these men, these missionaries, would not be motivated to sort of sell the gospel, peddle the gospel, if you would, for financial gain. But on the other hand, John points out that it is the believer's responsibility to care for those who have given their lives to proclaiming the gospel. It is indeed not only acceptable for someone to give themselves to full-time, like what we would call vocational ministry, but it is the church's responsibility to care for them. He says we should care for them. Therefore, he says in verse 8, we ought to support people like these. What's the, what's the implication there? That there's more than just these people. 
There's more than just these missionaries. There's going to be other missionaries. There's going to be other people of God that are fellow. He says that we may be fellow workers for the truth. He's saying that when we support them, we become fellow workers for the truth. When we care for other members of the body, even those outside of the body, we are becoming fellow workers for the truth. John, I don't think, is limiting care to just those who are in ministry, in professional ministry, if you will. He is certainly not limiting it to just a brother to a brother. He says, when we support people like these, what does he mean by like these? He means people who are proclaimers of the truth. When we support these proclaimers of the truth, we become fellow proclaimers for the truth. These workers for the truth, we become workers for the truth in partnership with them. The heart of the matter here is that a follower of Jesus has concern for the welfare of the family of God. You want to know whether you know God? You want to know whether you pass the test? Do you care for the body of Christ? Do you care for the body of Christ? Would you give your life for the body of Christ? Do you realize your partnership in the gospel? So first of all, realize your value, realize and value your partnership in the truth as we talk about someone who is walking with the family of God. Second of all, a genuine concern for their well-being. A genuine concern for their well-being. So the first kind of big thought was, there the, again, the partnership in the truth. Now we're talking about a, just a very genuine concern for their well-being. You see this at the beginning of the letter. I told you we'd come back to it. 3 John, verses 1 and 2. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. You see John caring for Gaius, for his physical well-being. Then again at the close of the letter, in verses 13 through 15, he says, I had much to say to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. You can just hear the tenderness and the care in John's voice in the beginning and the closing of this very short letter. Now, as we see this example of this hospitality towards the family of God by Gaius, now we turn to an example of someone who is not deemed a non-follower or, not, or a lost person, but, but certainly is contrasted to what Gaius is doing. So now we see... Diotrephes, who is put up here as a, as a picture, a kind of a, a contrast to what John has been talking about all throughout his text, all throughout 1 John. Now we have a picture of someone who is not following those things. I do think it's interesting that John does not point, not, not at this point call Diotrephes a lost person, but he certainly paints him in contrast to everything that he's been saying. 
But what's interesting is John is going to call him to repentance. He's going to call him to repentance when he comes. And I think part of what's going on here is that sin is not what we excommunicate for. Sin is not what deems someone a non-citizen of the kingdom. But what it is, is unrepentance. So John is pointing out that what Diotrephes is doing is not in keeping with the commands of God. And then he's going to call him to repentance when he comes. Now if John believes the rest of the Bible, if he understands then what will happen at that point is Diotrephes will be deemed an unbeliever if he is indeed unrepentant. Let's talk about Diotrephes here for a few moments. In contrast to Gaius, who is, who is encouraged as someone walking with the family of God, instead, Diotrephes is putting himself first. So what can we glean from that as followers of Jesus? We should put others first. He is being condemned for thinking of himself. Look what he says. He says, I, I have written something to the church by Diotrephes who likes to put himself first. Wow. What if someone came to you and said, you know, you like to put yourself first. Does that feel good? What if your spouse came to you and said, you know, you like to put yourself first. someone who's walking with the family of God puts others first. Then what else does he say there? He says, and does not acknowledge our authority. I would say for us, what we can learn from that is that we, those who are walking with the family of God, should submit to rightful authority. Submit to rightful authority. There is an authority here that Diotrephes should be Submitting to, there's a rightful authority. There's a rightful authority that uh, Diotrephes should be submitting to here that he is not. Again, we have this contrasting picture that John is painting. So for us, we should be submitting to rightful authority. You think of wives submitting to your husband. I think is the body submitting to each other and the body submitting to their elders, and, and then we as a people in this country submitting to the authority in our country. There's certainly lots of rightful authority, but, but this is the context of the church and him not recognizing the spiritual authority that John has over him. Third, be God-honoring in your speech. Someone who's walking with, the, walking with Christ, who's walking with the family, should be God-honoring with your speech, with your tongue. We talk about the rhythm of communicate. The rhythm of communicating. Like our gospel identity should be informing, guiding, directing our rhythm of communication. Both our listening and what's coming out of our mouth. In here, though, he's talking about, he goes, so if I come, verse 10, if I come, I will bring up what he is doing Talking wicked nonsense against us. I love that. I love that because, you know, even your elders in recent days, as we have sought to speak the truth, 
there is wicked nonsense that has been spoken against it. John says, when I come, I'm going to talk to him about it. I'm going to call him to repentance for it. I want to encourage you guys that when you stand up for the truth, there will be wicked nonsense spoken against you. It will come. And you'll find out in those moments who you really depend on, yourself or God. But he says, they're speaking wicked nonsense against us. And when I come, I will bring this up. I will talk to him about this. So be God-honoring in your speech. Is there a wicked talk that comes from your tongue? Now John, obviously, I mean, as, he, as an apostle of God, he is going to come, bring this up. But who ultimately is it that's going to hold Diotrephes accountable for the wicked tongue that he has? It is none only than God himself. And God will hold our tongue accountable too. He will hold our tongue accountable too. Thirdly, or fourthly, I should say, we sh- should be hospitable. If you're walking with the family of God, you're going to be hospitable. So here we have Gaius, who has welcomed the missionaries into the family. He welcomed them, taking care of them. And then what's the contrasting picture here? I say, I love contrast. You know, it helps me see the light. If I can see, like, understand the darkness, I can see the light. And seeing the light helps me understand the darkness. There's, there's a beautiful contrast here. For, for someone like me, black and white is gorgeous, particularly the blacker the black and the whiter the white. Like, just wonderful. So here we have a very, very black, 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 and a white, white, white. And here we have Gaius, who is caring for the family, caring for these missionaries, opened his home, and John even goes to the point to say with Gaius that you didn't even know who they were. Like, like you knew who they were, but they were strangers. Like you knew they were from me, and you knew that, that they were proclaiming the truth of the gospel. You recognized that, but they were strangers to you. And then on this side, he says that uh, in verse... Um, Verse 10, so if I come, I'll bring up this nonsense that he's talking about, and not content with that, so not content with his sin of a wicked talk, not content with putting himself first, not content with not acknowledging our authority and probably recognizing only his own authority, not content with all of that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and stops those who would seek to welcome the brothers and puts them out of the church. So here we have huge in hospitality to the people of God. So be hospitable. How are you being hospitable? Examine yourself. Are you hospitable to the people of God? Are you hospitable? Or do you, do you honor God with your speech? Do you submit to rightful authority? Are you putting others first? Do you have a genuine concern for their well-being? Do you realize and value your partnership in the truth? Examine yourself. Are you leading your heart and your family to walk with the body more? If not, then you may not be believing in Jesus. Be 
because I think about our biological families. He died for this family. So to be assured of your salvation, if you examine yourself, what would it look like to pass the truth? You would be walking in the truth. You'd be abiding in the truth. You'd be loving the truth and living by the truth and resting in the truth and clinging to the truth. And then you would show these fruits that come from that. To be assured of your salvation, you would be walking with the family of God, caring for them, putting others first. If you're not, then don't be assured of your salvation. Be assured of maybe your religiosity at best. Number three, to be assured of your salvation, you must be walking in righteousness. So Paul says, test yourself, examine yourself. The question is, are you walking in righteousness? Are you walking in holiness? Are you walking in godliness? Are you walking rightly before God? So verses 11 and 12. It says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. It would have been great if he had just stopped right there, right? That would give us our good little moral phrase for the day, and we could just all go feeling good about ourselves and say, well, as long as I act good, right? Good people go to heaven, right? As long as my good outweighs the bad, right? I mean, he says this, whoever does good is from God, but whoever does evil has not seen God. So Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony. You know that our testimony is true. John says, whoever does evil has not seen God. Let's talk about this for a second. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Hear what Paul has to say about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through, 9 through 10. He says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And understand that all of us at least fit into the category of idolaters. We all battle around the foot of our altars trying to replace God at every turn. Let me give you another picture. Again, Paul, what evil looks like. Galatians 5, or 16 through 21. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, nor the works of the flesh. Now, I'm sorry, now the works of the flesh are evident. Here's the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, again, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. As I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Whoever does these things will not inherit. How, how are we to understand this? Whoever does these things. Certainly we'd understand whoever does these things with no conscience against them, no seeking repentance and restoration from them, who does these things, and these things continue to gratify uh, satisfy their soul in a momentary fashion that they will, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So my question would be to us, is there continued satisfaction in our sin? If there is, and there's no seeking to slay that, to mortify that sin, to get rid of that sin, to honor God with that part of your life, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is it selfishness? Is it idolatry? Is it, hopefully it's not sorcery. I don't think anyone's around here in sorcery. Is it men? Is it fits of anger? But he says this, whoever does good, whoever does good is from God. Whoever does good is from God. Again, if you're a follower of Christ, I hope you feel some tension. I hope there's some tension in your heart going, oh, but I do evil things. I do evil things. But I know God is doing good in me. He is doing these good things, so there's a tension. I mean, just encourage us for a moment. There must be a pattern of overcoming sin in your life. There must be a desire to overcome sin in your life. Now, what does this good look like? I love Paul. So many pictures of the Bible of what this good looks like. Just make sure you don't define the good here, don't take a license to define that however you want to. The good here, you must explore Scripture to figure out what is this good that looks like that comes from God. Let me give you a short picture of what that looks like, just from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. So this is going on from where we were just talking about the drunkenness and orgies and things like these. He goes on in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There is freedom in these things. Exercise them to their fullest. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Right now, right now, today, as you test yourself, as you examine yourself, would the body affirm, would you see in your life love? Would you see joy? Would you see peace? Is there peace in your heart around you? Do people see that peace? Do you see patience? Would there be goodness seen? faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Guys, if he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and yet your fleshly passions and desires are not actively being crucified, then you don't belong to Jesus. You're not a follower of Jesus. 
Examine yourself. You know, my prayer is this, is that at the end of the series on the, on the epistles of John, that you are certain of your salvation one way or the other. That you're sure. Let me encourage you daily to ask the question, am I persevering today? Whether you're 10 years old or 100 years old, you ask the question, am I persevering today? Am I continuing to believe today? Is there evidence of my belief today? Right? That's, that's part of the key here. Not just am I believing today, but am, is there evidence of my belief today? We're not talking about someone, again, that could lose their salvation. Because remember, he who began a work will see it to completion. So if that work is not completed, then there never was a work. It was just simply a very deceiving work of the flesh. I would encourage you to value the opinions of the family of God. Value their witness, their testimony of your spiritual state. Welcome and seek the opinion of, families of, of the family of God. Let the Word of God be a mirror into your soul. All of our mirrors are distorted. Let the mirror of God, let the Word of God be a mirror into your soul. So the questions are this, are you... Are you walking in the truth? Walking in the truth. So do you believe the truths of the gospel, the incarnation, the atonement? But are you living those? Are you abiding in those truths? Particularly the, ato- the, the, uh, the incarnation. Are you walking with the family of God? Do you love them? Are you sacrificing for them? Do they, do, let me ask you this. If you were to ask those around you in the body, would, if they felt cared for by you, what would they say? I don't think many of us need to ask that question. We need to go ask a number of people in the body, do you feel cared for by me? And if not, how can I show care to you? Do you feel cared for by me? Thirdly, are you walking in righteousness? Are you seeking and pursuing holiness? Guys, you should be walking a winning battle with your sin. You should be walking a winning battle with your sin. The pattern of your life should be sin is brought to light. The Holy Spirit brings it to, to the forefront. You see it, then you confess it, repent it of it, and sin is overcome. There's a whole lot more to that, but for now, suffice it to say, you see it, you see it for what it is, you repent of it, and you overcome it. That doesn't mean you may not struggle with it again, right? But overcome it. I pray today that you are more sensitive to your sin currently, but that you are more assured of your salvation than you ever have been, if indeed you are a follower of Jesus Christ. I pray that you walk in that assurance. I pray that the only assurance of your salvation is not the recollection of a day that you prayed some prayer. I pray that every day you consider whether or not you are currently believing and living in that belief. Every day. And then feel that assurance. Sense that assurance. Rest peace in the hands of God. Examine yourself today. Examine yourself tomorrow. And lastly, I'd say this. If you are not a follower of Christ, are you, if you are certain of that today, or if you are 
almost certain of that today. Let me encourage you strongly to throw yourself at the mercy of God. I'm not going to give you some prayer to pray. Confess your sin to God and ask Him for forgiveness. And then place your trust in Jesus who paid the price for that sin. And then place yourself in submission to Christ. And cry out for His mercy. And if you need someone to talk through with that, I would encourage you to talk to me or talk to Russ or Sarah or Jess or a number of people in this body. We all would be willing and loving to work through that with you. But let me say this. As we close in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, I pray that if you're a follower of Christ, that today that you are in love with Him more than you ever have been. That you are more certain today than you ever have been. You know, I, I, I walked into this book, these books, going, all right, God, I mean, I, I see where we're kind of going. I kind of see the road map. And, but it's so wonderful because then as we come to the close of, of different books of the Bible, it's always, wow, God, you had so much more planned from that book than what Rusty or I could have ever imagined coming out of that. And one thing I know this, that guys, if we are going to be kingdom citizens, bringing about the restoration of God's kingdom in our lives, the lives of those around us, this world, and we're going to see the gospel renovate everything, then we're going to have to go and can only go, and we'll only go with power so much, or with as much power as we understand the assurance of our salvation. Many of us don't bring about restoration as God's kingdom citizens, because we're not sure that we're citizens of God's kingdom. We don't have power. If you're not assured today, go back, re-listen to all of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Do it. Listen to it all. Study, pray, read the word. And ask yourself, don't don't live this life not assured of your salvation. This is way too big of a thing to be uncertain about. Way too big of a thing. There's not just consequences for tomorrow. There's consequences for all eternity. So I would beg you, I would say this. As I think it was John Piper said at the conference we went to. He said, if, if I have someone who's sitting across the table from me who doesn't know Jesus... He goes, I would want to say to them, and I would say to them, and I do say to them, there is someone who wants you. And his name is Jesus. And he cares for you. Let's pray, and we'll sing. Father, just so encouraged by your word, so thankful by thankful for ministering to me even in these moments. God, I pray that your people are just as encouraged by your word and just as ministered to by your word as I know I have been. Father, I just pray in these next few moments that for many of this, this would be a reality check. For some of us, maybe this is the beginning. Maybe, maybe this is the beginning of our, of our salvation that we recognize today that I am not a follower of Jesus, but I want to be. I want to be. I desire to be. And Father, for those with hearts that are in that state, Father, let 
Let their heart scream forth, God, have mercy on me. Let them turn from their sin, place their trust in Jesus Christ. And Father, for those who, who are, are certain of their salvation, Father, let this maybe be a, a new beginning, a new kind of a new season of their walk with you, that they would not walk around with, with this uncertainty or, or lacking the, the, the power that comes with knowing that they're a follower of Jesus, but they would begin living and knowing that they walk in the truth, they walk in the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of your word. And Father, help us all to know that you are stronger and that you are a Savior worth worshiping. And Father, I just love you. I pray that your people would love you more today than they did yesterday. And then love you more today than they did three hours ago. And love you more tomorrow than they did today. They love you more next week than they did the week before. Until we see your face.